it's just a passion that's been it's been inside me for a long, long time, and it's one of these things that's it's going to live with me for probably the rest of my life. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We often think of hospitality as restaurants and cafes, but on-site food operators in sporting venues, on mining sites and in regional posts all play a huge role in feeding people. What's it like being part of one of the world's largest catering food and services company, often working in remote locations and feeding masses of people? John Howie is an executive chef with Sodexo. John, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. It's great to get you on the show. You've got a role that's not quite like most chefs. Um, you've just come back from a big role in WA. What were you doing over there? Uh, so pretty much my day-to-day job is uh, managing our offshore oil and gas. Uh, well, it's a pretty much gas platform now. So managing all the catering operations on board there for um, about over 300 people currently. So manage the day-to-day running, all the kitchen operations, all the rostering, the, the procurement, like ordering and all stuff like that. Just the day-to-day running, a very busy operation. So, <laughs> yeah, um, that's a lot of people to feed every day, and such a remote situation as well. What's some of the challenges that you face pulling that together? The um, procurement one's a big one. Try to get like fresh produce as fresh as possible. We can get it. We get deliveries uh, once a week. Uh, it comes. It comes via a boat for different you know areas of Australia. So we get some of our uh, frozen kind of chiller dairy stuff that comes from Perth via a road. So it goes from Perth to Darwin. Then we have we have some local suppliers in Darwin that supply all the fresh stuff like the fruit and veg and stuff like that. So it's a massive uh, behind the scenes operation. So it's a big challenge just to get the stuff there in the first place. It comes via boat, so that's one of the major ones. Uh, obviously, dealing with people in a remote location where you don't have much of an escape from because you're living on top of each other. It's, very, it's a very good facility to work because it's pretty modern and it's got plenty of space and stuff like that. But you're pretty much living with these guys 24 hours a day. So so it's very, that challenge, that challenge is one of the major ones for myself as well. So, Well, take us into that environment. What's it like for you? Like, how do you um, get by and make sure that everyone is fed properly and, and also you don't go mad as well? I just try and describe it to people that have never done it, this type of work before. It's just like a big hotel, to be honest, in the middle of, in the middle of nowhere. So it's very much, very much, it's run like a hotel. We, we take care of all the housekeeping, not just the catering. So we do all the housekeeping, the room allocations, all the, all the food, all the, obviously the procurement that I touched on before. So it's pretty much very, very similar to like a large hotel operation or a, a smaller hotel operation. So. Tell us a bit about the food that you're creating there and the obligation that you have in regards to everyone's diet and how you balance that over the whole day. We work, it's a 24-hour operation. We offer breakfast, lunch, dinner, like afternoon tea breaks, like evening tea breaks, so it's pretty much 24-hour operation. Uh, so the challenges with that we have, we don't have many like dietary people and stuff that require special treatment, so we're pretty lucky in that sense. Um, but I try obviously the background I come from doing corporate dining and stuff like that I try and keep the food as 
interesting as possible, as fresh as possible, um, and just vary it up as much as possible, just in regards to what we have available at that particular time. It can be quite challenging if we don't get a delivery, for example, where we don't have the freshest of stuff. So so it's a day-by-day kind of scenario, so no, not two days are the same, to be honest. So. Restaurants are known for a signature dish or two. Is there any sort of dish that really works in those environments that you've sort of used over the years? Yeah, the guys love the just home cook like stuff like your know, nice steaks and stuff like that. Um, uh, because my Scottish background, I've incorporated. There is a lot of Scottish guys there. We've incorporated doing like a Scottish breakfast once a week, which we do like we do haggis, black pudding. Scottish square sausages, potato scones, so things like that. I've become, I've become quite well known for doing that there. <laughs> so um, Saturday night we can tend to go all out where our budget permits. We do like fillet beef on croute. We do we do fresh steaks and all that on a Saturday night, depending again what what our stores and what our deliveries kind of determine. So yeah. Let's try and keep it as interesting as possible. It's not too, because of the environment and stuff again, it's uh, just an example. Last week we had fresh, like, hand-pressed Wagyu burgers, fresh brioche buns. Just try and keep it as interesting as possible where the budget permits, so... It's it's such a, an interesting and different sort of model to operate in as a chef. What What do you love about that sort of environment? Um, this is me touching on almost probably seven years in this job, six, seven years. So it's getting a bit, it's getting a bit tiresome now with all the travel and stuff. So, uh, so yeah. But the, the the thing that it does offer um, is obviously it offers me a lot of time off throughout the year to spend with my. I've got a young daughter and my missus. Um, uh, because of my my normal rotation, just. Well, which I currently work under. I've just come home yesterday and I've got five weeks off now, which is pretty much five weeks for myself. So so, so I do a normal three-week stint. Then we have four weeks off. Then we do three on again. Then we do five off. So it works in a 15-week cycle. So That, that sort of time off is not normally afforded to, to most chefs. What, what sort of impact does that sort of space have on you? Yeah, having that time off is, is good. Um Probably something I mentioned previous to yourself is when I'm on my R and R, I do still spend a lot of time in kitchens and stuff, like uh, do a lot of kind of casual work and stuff across Melbourne. So, so to say I have five weeks off has been a bit, a, 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 I'm being a bit adventurous when I say that. So, so, but it's five weeks away from the site that I normally manage, which is it's a good recharge and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I think it's important to have that time away as well because it, three weeks is a long time spending in that environment. So, Feeding a lot of people has been a real feature of your career, but um, take us back to when you were young. What was food like for you growing up? Oh, I had a love-hate relationship with food when I was a kid, so my, my mother would say I was very fussy and stuff like that. So uh, catering and cooking and stuff has been in my family for as long as I can remember. Like my... My mother, my mother still runs a cafe in the UK. My mother uh, worked for Sodexo, funnily enough, back in the, the early 90s. So I, I, my first kind of recollection is my mother and my aunt working together in 
big, indus- big industrial kitchens and, and funnily enough they still actually work in the industry now back in the UK so uh, but a love-hate relationship with food I was very fussy and stuff like that when I was when I was younger um, but always been remember been running about food and kitchens and yes and my my dad as well he's works in the food industry he's, he's a sales director so so it's uh, yeah funny one but it's the thing I think I've grown into over the years is to be more experimental and, and try different things and um, my, my my missus is from an Asian background so having that. Um, can I exposure to different flavours and stuff like that? It's, it just makes me more interested as I seem to get older. So, when did you first sort of think about a career as a chef, and what were the first sort of steps into the industry for you? Yeah, um, like I said, my mother, and I forgot to touch on my brother. He's a chef as well. So, <laughs> uh, so pretty much straight from school, I wanted to have a job and I wanted to make money. So as soon as I left school, I was straight, straight into a kitchen working as a was a kitchen hand as you call it in Australia kitchen porter in the UK so uh, so straight into a kitchen straight from school um, just learning the hard way into the the tough environment in a massive massive kind of corporate style kitchen and just getting my teeth stuck into all sorts of stuff then so that's back in 97, 98 so What were the really important venues for you early on that sort of helped you and guided you uh, in your career? It's, it's like I've kind of feel like I went full circle because I did start with Sodexo when I came straight out of school, which was formerly known as Gardner Merchant. Um, so people who don't know what the company is, it's a large facilities, basically facilities catering company. It's worldwide. They do all sorts of stuff from offshore remote, healthcare, education, um, stuff like corporate dining, sporting events. So I had the, the kind of luxury to be involved in a lot of bigger things when I was young, just just like large sporting events like soccer, rugby, uh, golf, horse racing, like working in big, big venues, which was really a, was kind of an eye-opener because it's not like your standard restaurant hotel-style kitchen. It's just mass, mass huge kitchens with huge teams and a lot of stuff going on so it kind of gave me that idea of things out with a, like your normal kitchens but yeah it was very interesting you did a lot of uh, staging early on in your career as well in different uh, hotels and, and restaurants do you have any stories of those experiences and what you gained from them there's a couple of good ones. So um, I actually went up to like two star restaurants in London and done a few after I'd done a, I'd done a big competition in 2012. Um, I got an invite to go do some stages in some places in London and stuff like that. So it was just that um, that environment. And I know what kitchens are like. I've got mates that went totally different avenue to me who done like they're in Michelin backgrounds and all that currently and for me to go into that environment probably later on in my career um, and just to see that how more refined and regimented and stuff it was uh, I was a bit older than most of the guys in the kitchen so that exposure to the, that standard of food and and seeing how these guys work 14, 15 hour days was pretty much a quiet, quiet day so 
it's a very, very big eye opener, and it gives you an idea of the the different levels of requirements, what you need to uh, put into that level of cooking. So it's very, very, very interesting, which I still have a keen eye on. I still try and keep up to speed what's going on in these kind of levels of restaurants and if, if, if I've got enough money I try and eat in some nice places so <laughs> in 2005 you um, teamed up with a food production company in Scotland tell us a little bit about what you were doing there um, it's probably not too dissimilar to what a company does in uh, Melbourne currently a company called City Larder I don't know if you're aware yet. So City Larder, it, it was pretty much similar to what they do here in Australia. So we do all the kind of fresh, fresh made terrines and all the parfaits and different types of stuffed meats and canopy style food, stocks, sauces, you name it, we could do it. So pretty much whatever the client asked for, we would make samples, send them to the the, the clients, and just they would say, right, we want 5,000 of this to this specification. Um, just as an example, so we would start preparing stuff for like Christmas orders and all that, maybe mid-year, sometimes May, June. So we would have all these pre-orders in and we would start like pre-making stuff, freezing it down, because the volumes were so vast. And But having that exposure to massive like events when I was younger as well kind of put me in good stead to manage something like that. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting role. Uh, very, very labour-intensive, hands-on, and uh, a very busy, busy place to work. So, but it was one of the ones, it's, a, it's an experience out with your standard kitchens and stuff again, but it was, it was a good, good learning curve. Feeding large amounts of people has been a real feature of your career. Who's been really key sort of mentors throughout those sort of years um, as you sort of dived into that world? One that always sticks in my mind is from very, very young and probably like the like early 2000s would be a guy called Willie Pike um, who pretty much took me under his wing at a, a young age. I ended up working with Willie's son as well in that job that we just spoke about as well. So I became very close to him for a young age. Um, a lot of guidance, a lot of hours spent with him doing events and uh, different kind of training and all that that he took that he undertook and uh, a very very important part of my career we still keep in touch regular uh, after all the years and you know, somebody like that always sticks in your mind so a very very big character massive reputation in the UK and um, I had the pleasure of working with a really really good executive chef when I came to Australia called Kelly Jackson so Kelly's a big part of my journey in Australia as well which I'm very grateful for so yeah Do you have any um, stories of um, the influence that Kelly's had on you? Uh, So pretty much when I was in the UK I had this ambition always to come and live and work in Australia Something that I had previously tried prior to coming here in 2014, which never quite materialised and worked out then. Uh, but in 2014, I had the, the opportunity to come and work at Crown Casino, working in the conference and events team. And Kelly was the person instrumental to get me here and putting a lot of trust in me and stuff like that to come and work in his team. Um, so we did 
some of the ma- massive events in Crown um, that people from Melbourne will be quite aware of. We used to take care of the Logies, the Brownlow Meadow. Uh, done the San Pellegrino uh, Top 100 restaurant event. Um, done a Chef of the Year, Executive Chef of the Year. I was assistant to Kelly in that competition he done, and he actually won that competition. So, um, but just the, the stature of the events and stuff like that, the exposure you get. We were, we were working with some really high-end chefs, like we done events with Nobu, we done events with Shindelia, done events with Rockpool, so you, you name it, we done huge, huge events, and yeah, there's an, an awful lot going on in that kitchen, so that's, yeah, yeah. You've, you've done huge dinners sort of all over the place. Is there any one that really stands out for you in your career? Yeah, I was actually having a conversation with a, a mate just about like how many people we actually used to feed and stuff and I was telling him some numbers. He's quite shocked with the, <laughs> the numbers. So. Uh, big ones uh, that stick out. Um, in Australia, like I said, just touched on the San Pellegrino Top 100. That was more like a cocktail party. Um, done a big event for the ex-casino owner and his fiance at the time, Mariah Carey. Uh, we done a massive New Year event for that. Um, done a couple of smaller ones here in Australia that's going to stick in my mind for celebrities and stuff like that. Um, and a massive one back in the UK, I done a um, it's more like a charity kind of dinner um, with, with my old mentor Willie uh, for it was a Gordon Ramsay kind of charity uh, so he was a pat- the patron for this charity and uh, it was in the Glasgow Science Centre uh, it was a massive massive um, kind of focus on it for the media and all that at the time I remember and that was very very interesting just a bit still a bit young and stuff at that time but just being involved in something like that and seeing the it was only it was around about 500 people but the organisation and the standard of food and stuff that went out like in events like this when I was working was was pretty incredible so do, do you have any stories or um, about that experience and, and meeting Gordon no, it's just, it's just kind of surreal you kind of think at it at the time it's like it's not it's not really important at the time but as time goes on and stuff like that kind of sticks in your brain a bit more just um, like I said I was young and pretty much just a bit wet around the ears and still still picking up a lot learning a lot and stuff like that but yeah like I said before like Willie he's a he's a character anybody who knows him is um, he's always wanting to have a laugh and a joke and a, you know, he's, he's a very special guy when it comes to dealing with people that yeah, oh, kind of of that kind of stature. So yeah, it was just just fun, just real fun, just really good fun and hard work. And I remember it always been hard work, which is something I've never been scared of. But yeah, like I said, burning desire always from young, from young, and from a very young age. I just had this thing and just this thing in my head that oh. Always thinking it just looks so good, amazing there, and everybody thinks so. Oh, it's the beach life, and but until you actually come here and experience, especially Melbourne, Melbourne's so cosmopolitan, and it's not just about beaches and all that in Melbourne. Maybe some other states it is like Queensland, Queensland, WA, and stuff like that. But 
But for me, when you when you come to a place like Melbourne, for somebody like me who's very very food orientated, who loves food and stuff like that, it's it's kind of a hard place to match. The only place that I probably in my my working career and my life that I've ever said would match Melbourne uh, would be London. So it would be up there, but. I would still, I would still say uh, Australia. Just so Melbourne just edges it a little bit. So, how much have you changed since uh, living in Australia? Uh, too much. <laughs> too much. Uh, no, yeah. For some some things, I think I've improved and stuff like that as well. Improved as a person and improved as an individual. Just like when it comes to work and stuff like that as well. So I've learned a lot for my time that I worked at Crown so just about organisation and just how to manage yourself as a person in that high pressure environment so always something that I picked up from my very first couple of years in Australia was the food should be the fun part so all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes the organising all that stuff is is the hardest part so the food was for me always even for the team that were working with me, should be the, the fun part where you get to have a bit of fun and express your kind of emotions and your, your kind of background and, you know, to showcase what you can actually do. So, and that's something I feel where I, where I thrive. So, like big high-pressure environments, but for me, like I said, it's the food's the fun part. So it doesn't matter if it's a dinner for 200, 300 or 2,000 coming out the same kitchen it's that should be the part where you're you're thriving and showing your experience and so yeah those sort of numbers are pretty crazy for most of us to get our head around what's really important when you are doing the sort of feeding 2,000 people um, to get it right Uh, just uh, like I said organization you need to be very very thorough in how you have things set up you have processes in place for everything that you do so if you have all that set up in the processes, you, you do your menu tastings, you do your due diligence with your suppliers, make sure you get the best possible ingredients for your menus. So we were always a year, working a year in advance, a year a year ahead for the next year, just being organised with specifications of our, uh, our menus, our recipe sheets, our, our pictures and how the food should look. And So that's all the hard part. So when you go in and you're doing all the, the mise en place and the organising for the actual events and you have all the processes and practice uh, practices in place to make the, the cooking the, the fun part. So, but like two two thousand would be a could be a quiet day in, in crown events. So, <laughs> so I, I remember back to my first six months in that kitchen, mate, and I'll tell you I was. I, I, I almost chucked it a few times because it was just so full on. So. But I'm kind of, you know, I made a tougher stuff and I persevered and just kicked on. And but it was very, very tough, very tough, just getting your head around about everything. But after six months, I was just in my groove and just enjoying it. So when you're dealing with those sort of high numbers, consistency is obviously very important. But how do you balance that consistency with creativity with such high volume? Yeah, that's the number one thing that. Yeah, my my boss at Cornell used to just say like, you can you can make this dish that looks fantastic and tastes amazing, and but the the question the burning question behind every single thing that you do is, can we do this for a thousand people? So that was always the first question you would get asked. So you would you would need to have that 
uh, like I said, the organisation, the methods in place, how it would work, and you know, we used to do crazy stuff like we would get like chicken skin and just scrape all the fat and all that off it, and then just get it all translucent, bake it in the oven, and have crispy chicken skin as a garnish on a risotto for like. 1500 people so it's like <laughs> so it'd be like wow you stand there at like 11 o'clock at night still prepping all this chicken skin and just just crazy stuff so yeah but yeah but the processes are paramount to what you do the end there if you don't have all these things in place like down to the t then the job just became an absolute nightmare so um so it's kind of a thing that i was probably um, all over was like I, I was just about the organising just making sure everything was done making sure all the team all the guys were all over everything they were doing and if, if we never had processes and practices in place then we were not doing things properly so What's it like for someone like you that has to deal with so many staff as well? There's lots of talk about staff shortages and and the issues that have come out of COVID. Um, what's what's it been like for you in that area? The good thing about the current role that I do, this is probably one of the few good things. <laughs> but the, when you get when you go in a remote location, there's there's no way you can get out. You can only get out by a helicopter. So so having staff issues and all that is something that we don't encounter too much when we're on location we do have people that go down sick and stuff like that which is only normal but to be honest it's something that's not really in the back of your mind too much um, but again it's we have a big team and all that there so when things do happen and people do get sick then it's just reshuffling and reorganizing I just I'm all about in that environment that we can only do what we can do with the resources that we have so we can't just call up an agency and say I need two chefs or I need this or I need that so we don't have that luxury so I always instill in the team and the guys that are working for me that don't be pressured we can only do what we can do to our time constraints and everything that we have so I just try and drive that into the guys in that environment so but but it's something we don't encounter too much which is good so You've built an incredible career in a very different way to many chefs. What do you love about what you do? I'm a very food-orientated person. I love, I'm pretty sad, and I'll tell people that when it comes to that. I keep myself, I keep myself, up, I keep myself up to speed with current things, current trends. Like I said, I try and eat out regular. Like I said, I still do work on my R&R. &R. I work in some other smaller restaurants. I do... Um, agency work at events, MCG, at uh, Flemington Races, VRC, still at Crown. I do some work at Crown as well. So I'm always trying to keep up to speed with what's going on. It's like I say, it's, it's just something I love. I love food and I just love the kind of whole kind of family kind of things that you can do at home. So you can, it just brings everybody together. So sitting around a dinner table and having nice food and stuff like that, it's more more of a social kind of thing as well for me so so I just feel like it just it brings everybody together and having that um, kind of background and experience of being organised and stuff like that for me to cook at home for 10 or 12 people is, is a lot easier than like my missus in the kitchen and she, she so <laughs> it's just being organised and just trying try to make things as efficient as possible and yeah cooking a dinner at home for 12 is very simple so 
yeah, but it's just it's just a passion. It's been it's been inside me for a long, long time, and it's one of these things that's it's going to live with me for probably the rest of my life. I've got I've got my daughter. She's turning three in August, and she's she's already telling my missus I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to be a chef. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm saying no, no, you're not going to be a chef. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it does sound like it's in the family, so um, she may well end up being a chef. Well, John, it's been it's been a, a, an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a part of your story. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Beautiful, mate. Thank you very much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>